0: It's so good to be back uh, with you. Uh, we've been away for a couple Sundays, but uh, really grateful for technology that allowed uh, me and my family to worship with all of you while we were gone. Uh, the first Sunday, we were traveling uh, through Wisconsin to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan uh, to spend some time uh, with my family, and we uh, live-streamed the service. Um, Cheryl watched. I listened. I was driving, so, you know, got to keep it safe. Uh, And then uh, the second Sunday, we were driving through the Upper Peninsula uh, to be uh, near my wife's family. And so we were, we live streamed with you guys then too. So it's really kind of cool that we have that ability to do that. It was like, like we were right here with you. So I'm glad we're, I'm glad we're able to do that. Home audience, we want to welcome you. We're, we're glad that you're, you're with us. I know it's not exactly the same, but it certainly fills a hole. So um, we're going to be continuing on in our sermon series today. Uh, that Scott did a really, really good job the last two weeks, uh, kind of working through the first two uh, signs of John. And so we're going to be in John 5 eventually, if you have your Bibles. And uh, I'm going to kind of pick up where he left off. We're just kind of working our way through John and uh, looking at these eight signs. So uh, this week is uh, sign number three. Let's pray together, all right? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. And uh, Lord, we want to not just kind of focus on in this series what he did in the sign. Uh, we want to focus on who he is because uh, that's the most important thing. And so help us to just see uh, your son Jesus for uh, who he is, what he came to do, and and, and, what, he, uh, and uh, what we can learn about him uh, through what he does. Um, be with us in this room. Help us to understand Jesus better. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. A minister, uh, pastor, decided that he would do a live uh, demonstration in his sermon to kind of try to get the point uh, across. And he was talking about temptation and vice and and stuff like that. So he had kinda, at the very beginning of his sermon, he had kind of four worms placed in separate jars. And the first worm was placed in a jar of alcohol. The second worm was placed in a jar of cigarette smoke. The third jar was placed in a, a jar of chocolate syrup, and the fourth fourth worm, excuse me, was placed in just good clean soil. And he went on and he preached this great sermon on vice and temptation and overcoming and all of that. And at the very end of the sermon, he said, all right, let's take a look at our jars again. And the first worm in the first jar that was in the alcohol, dead. The second worm in the second jar, cigarette smoke, dead. The third worm in the third jar, chocolate syrup, dead. And the fourth worm uh, in the fourth jar, which was the good, clean soil, alive, So the minister, thinking he made this point brilliantly, turns to the congregation and says, what did you learn from this demonstration? And a woman sitting in the back row uh, at the top of her voice said, as long as you drink, smoke, and eat chocolate, you'll never have worms. Um, And it's it's slightly missing the point, right? Uh, And I've been in that situation before when you're preaching, and I, I don't think that got through. I don't think that was... I don't think that was the right thing. And a lot of these miracles in John that we're studying are exactly this way. Jesus does one thing. Jesus is trying to make a a certain point and everybody's just kind of missing it. Uh, Everybody kind of misses the point that that Jesus is uh, trying to make. And so there may be no greater of of that truth in in this series than maybe uh, the story we're gonna study today in John 5. Um, We'll go ahead and start in verse 1. Uh, It says, sometime later, Jesus went to Jerusalem uh, for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five colored colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, uh, one who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? First observation, before we even get to the miracle, I want to make uh, this observation because this series is primarily about Jesus. So I want to say about Jesus that he sees this man and we can't just skip past this truth because this guy had been laying by this pool for 38 years. And you imagine 38 years, person after person after person had passed him and not seen him. Not paid any attention to him at all. Not, they hadn't seen his pain. They hadn't seen his suffering. They hadn't seen his condition. They hadn't seen him at all. And it's really easy in our culture to make this a habit, to just kind of be on a one-track mind and to stop seeing people. But I want you to see about your Savior and your Lord that when Jesus enters this area, one of the first things that happens is he sees. He sees this guy lying there in verse 6. And I think that we've been in a season in our country where maybe you feel like nobody sees you, that uh, you've been home for a long time or you've been home more than you've ever been home before and uh, you think you've seen maybe everything on Netflix at this point, you know, that you broke Netflix, you've seen it all, uh, you've come to the end of it and you've just watched everything, you've indulged everything and, and there might be a sense of loneliness and you feel like, man, nobody sees me. Nobody sees what I'm going through. Nobody sees my pain. And when that happens, uh, it it can make you angry. It can cause you to lash out. I think maybe a lot of our cultural problems right now is maybe people feeling like they haven't been seen. And I'm not going to speak for every human being on the planet, but here's what I want you to know I want you to know your Savior, Jesus Christ, sees. He sees you, He sees your pain, He sees your suffering. He sees your habits and your hangups. He sees uh, what, what is distressing you, he sees. Now, he also responds, but I think sometimes it can help us to feel a little bit better just knowing that somebody sees. There's no way, all right, somebody sees what's happened to me, somebody sees what I'm going through, somebody sees and understand, and Jesus is in uh, that, that exact situation. Now, when Jesus sees, he approaches the man and he asks what I think is a very interesting question. He says, do you want to get well? And it seems like the first response would maybe be the obvious response to the question. He'd been an invalid uh, for 38 years by this pool, the the Bible says, and I think the obvious answer to the question is, well, yes, I want to get well. That's why I'm laying here. That's why I've gone to this pool to begin with. I've been paralyzed for 38 years. Yes, I want to get well, and this text is a reminder to us that uh, not everyone always wants to get well. I don't know if you've had an experience where you've talked to somebody and they're really angry about something or they're really depressed about something and you try to comfort them in their anger or you try to comfort them in their loneliness or you try to comfort them uh, in, in their angst and all of a sudden they get angry with you and all of a sudden you, you kind of learn a lesson that, oh, they, this is soothing to them in some way. They like being angry. They, they, they like holding on to this fear. They, they like holding on to whatever this feeling. This is doing something for them, and they don't actually want to get well. Now, all that being said, I think that this question of Jesus actually goes beyond desire. If I were to make a guess, I would guess that this guy, having been paralyzed for 38 years, laying by this significant pool that we'll talk about in a few minutes, I would guess that this guy did want to get well. He had a desire to walk again. He had a desire to be healed. I think that this question goes more, moves away from desire, although that's part of it. And I think it goes more to willingness. willingness. Jesus is asking him, are you willing to do what I'm asking you to do? Are you willing to have faith in me? Are you willing to follow me? Verse 7. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool. And when the water is stirred, uh, when the water is stirred, while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. The name of this pool is Bethesda. In Aramaic, it means house of mercy. The covered colonnades near this pool uh, would have offered shelter to all those uh, that were gathered there. But there's another reason for the popularity of the pool of Bethesda. It wasn't the shade. Legend had it that an angel would come down to the pool and would stir up the waters. And the legend had it that the first person into the pool after the angel stirred the water, the first person into the pool would be healed of whatever was afflicting them, of whatever they were going through. They would be completely healed of it. Now, the Bible doesn't teach this was actually happening, but this was kind of the the legend that surrounded this pool, this house of mercy, is that if you could get into the pool first, if you could be the first one in, you would be healed of whatever disease afflicted you and obviously a lot of people kind of bought into this legend and and you can hear the pain in this guy's voice like, man i'm paralyzed i I can't i can't get into the pool by myself and nobody sees me nobody sees me there's nobody there to help me nobody will will help me get into the pool and jesus sees him but it's also a reminder uh that, that jesus responds to him and we want to be like jesus We want to see the pain and hardship of others, but we also want to respond to their needs. And Jesus says both in this story. Did you know that the average American, I couldn't believe this, the average American is exposed to 4,000 to 10,000, it's kind of a big range, but 4,000 to 10,000 ads every single day. That's 4,000 to 10,000 messages telling you what you need. Right? It's. Um, it's It's a reminder to me that sometimes we have to get out of the space. This is what I need. This is what I must have. This is what will make me happy, which is what advertising is primarily about. It's good to get out of that realm and to remind ourselves that we need to open up our eyes and see. We need to see the people around us, and we need to respond to their needs. We just, like I said, got back from vacation and uh, the first week of the vacation, we were in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, um, way up, way up in Michigan, as like skip a rock across Lake Superior and hit Canada sort of thing. Um, we, were, we were up there pretty far. And uh, I, I love it up there. It's quiet. It's time to disconnect. And we were staying in this cabin. And uh, the first night there, we realized the remote, remote control didn't work. And I was like, I'm not going all the way to the... You know, to get new batteries or whatever. I'm, you know, I'm on vacation, right? So I'm not going to worry about the batteries. And what that started was just a week where Cheryl and I literally did not watch one minute of TV for an entire week. It was blissful. I, I didn't have any idea how much I was, how little I was missing, right? It, it would be the right way to say that. it. Was, it was blissful to just disconnect from all the advertising and all the politics and all of this stuff and just enjoy God's creation enjoy our our kids have conversation read um, good books and and do that sort of thing and it's just a reminder that every once in a while we we need to disconnect and I think it does when we disconnect it opens up our eyes to the people around us it helps us to see their needs and it helps us to respond to their needs let's get to the miracle that's what this series is about verse 8 then Jesus said to him, pretty simple miracle here. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Jesus doesn't need a mystical, magical pool, does he? Right? If Jesus wants to heal, someone's like, hey, get up. Walk. Take your mat. Go home. And at once, verse 9, at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat, and he walked. The next, the, the day on which this took place with the Sabbath, that's significant, and so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you from carrying your mat, right? It's a very kind of religious thing to do, right? He replied, the man who made me well said, pick up your mat and walk. So that's what I did. And they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? Well, I talked to this guy, verse 13. The man who was healed had no idea who it was for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd uh, that was there. Verse, and so go back to verse eight. Jesus is exercising authority over this man's ailment, and he heals him. So he doesn't need a pool, doesn't need an angel to come stir the waters, doesn't need to have a competition for who can get in first. When Jesus decides to heal, it's, hey, get up, walk, take your mat, and go home. And this shouldn't surprise us at all. If you study the rest of the Gospels, throughout the Gospels, Jesus is exercising authority over nature, demons, disease, and even death. As a matter of fact, after Jesus resurrects from the dead himself, before he ascends into heaven, his words to the church are, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And that's what these miracles are mostly about. They are about his authority, his power, and his character. That he sees a need, and with a single word, he meets a need. So the question becomes in this text, What is the proper response to this miracle? Awe, respect, worship. That's what you would expect to happen when a guy has been laying for 38 years and Jesus walks by and says, get up, get up, take your mat and go home. And after 38 years, the guy does it. You would expect some awe. You would expect some respect, you would expect some respect and some worship, but that doesn't happen and it doesn't happen because of verse 9. And here's one little line in the story. The day which this took place was a Sabbath. So here's what's happening in the story. The religious police, and you know there are religious police, right? They see the man carrying his mat and they turn on their sirens and instead of celebrating this man's victory, they criticize. Now let me give you a little bit of background on, on, on what's going on in this story. is the Sabbath on, keeping the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. It is a rest from labor, and it came out of two primary stories of the Old Testament. Uh, a, a good understanding of Sabbath does. One is creation, is that God took six days and he created the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested. And right on the seventh day, it's not like God said, that was super hard. I'm wiped out. I could use a nap, right? God doesn't need naps ever, right? So what God was doing was setting an example for his creation. That where it's like work, produce, do your job, do it well, but make sure that one day a week you take a Sabbath, you take a rest. So one story is the creation story. The other story is the story of God's people in slavery in Egypt. And in Egypt, it was hard labor. God's people had been enslaved there and they are making bricks in the hot sun day after day after day. And in Egypt, there was no Sabbath. Or there was very little Sabbath. It was just work, 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 work. And so there comes a time where God sends Moses. He frees his people from their slavery. And one of the first things he says to them when he comes out, he gives them the Ten Commandments. And one of them is, I am the Lord your God. You're going to take a break, right? It's not going to be like it was in Egypt, where you're just produce, 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 And when you can't produce anymore, you're killed. He said, I'm not that type of God. I'm not the God you had in Egypt. You can work and you can produce. I created you to do that. I've given you gifts. I've given you ability so you can work and you can produce. But one day day a week, you are going to take a break. You're going to Sabbath. You're going to rest. Now, for whatever reason, and a lot of the other Ten Commandments are not this way, but for whatever reason, the religious police, the religious kind of folks of the day, got just fascinated by this idea of Sabbath. And what does it mean to rest? And what does it mean to work? And so more than any other commandment, they developed a list of rules and restrictions uh, outside of scripture, honestly, for what you could and couldn't do uh, when when it came to work. And listen, in some Jewish communities, not all, but in some Jewish communities, they still take this very seriously, that um, they will develop a list of, Um, rules when it comes to Sabbath. Because when you tell people, hey, don't work, take a break, immediately the thought that comes to our mind as human beings is, well, what do you mean by work? What do you mean by rest? And that's how this whole thing happened, is they begin to develop all these rules and all these restrictions on what it means to rest and what it means to work. So I found one Jewish community that this is still going on today. Um, one Jewish community developed their kind of list of guidelines for what it means to work. They said, so one of uh, the, the people living in the community said, we're not allowed to heat up things to change them in any way. So they said, we can't use heat on the Sabbath to change the orientation of things. So a loaf of bread, it would need to be formed and baked the night before. They said, fires cannot be started or extinguished on Sabbath, and driving, which then sparks the engine and burns fuel, it falls into that category. So in this one community, you're not allowed to drive your car on Sabbath. There's a prohibition in this community against using electrical appliances on the Sabbath. Telephones, radios, and television. There are no electrical appliances because that causes the machine to work breaking the sabbath and so actually one of the kind of rules in this community they have found is one of the most life-giving things right it's like okay work i'm on sabbath i'm turning my phone off and you're not allowed to use your phone at all and they found that's very uh, life-giving indoor lighting uh, is generated using electricity so it is forbidden in this community uh, in in this community that i found online on the sabbath Um, things that are attached Uh, through glue, sewing, and perforation uh, cannot be unattached for any purpose on the Sabbath. And so that would involve uh, taking something, that would involve taking something in one form and dividing it for some other use. That's essentially work in their definition so you can't do it. So like one example in this community is tearing a paper towel along the perforated line is work and not allowed. And so the day before Sabbath, they... Get a stack of paper towel that they can use on the Sabbath. Now, here's the bad news. Toilet paper fits into the same category. All right, so you better get all your toilet paper lined up. So you can just see how, how this becomes law, right? What is and isn't work, and different Jewish communities have handled it different ways. This is just one example. Some tend to be a lot more graceful and a lot more free about it. Some tend to be even more restrictive than this, of using uh, separate bowls to cook meat and milk and all of that sort of thing, just as these kind of Sabbath laws. And here's Jesus' point in this community that he he is talking to. They miss the power of the miracle simply because it was done on the Sabbath, so here's what's going to happen in the text. Jesus is going to enter into a defense of his miracle. It's like, I healed this guy. I healed him on the Sabbath. And you might wonder, like, how is that okay that Jesus, in the religious leader's mind, saying, anyway, Jesus is breaking the Sabbath. How is that allowed? Right? Is Jesus allowed to break the Sabbath? You know, I kind of invented it. I guess I could break it if I wanted to. But he's going to enter into a defense of it. And we're going to see kind of two lessons for you and I that in light of who Jesus is, this is how we respond. Verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried to kill him all the more. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So listen, if you ever hear anybody say that Jesus never claimed to be God, it is utter foolishness. There are tons of stories in which Jesus does that exact thing, and this is one of them where they perceive that by Jesus calling himself the son as equal to the father, that Jesus is claiming to be God, uh, and, and he was. He was God the son. And so they, this propels them into a, a place where they are looking to persecute him and eventually kill him. But here's Jesus' point in this part of the text. He says, listen, when it comes to Sabbath, do the right work. Do the right work. Jesus' point is that God works on the Sabbath. We, we actually just sang a song about this, that you're always at work, always at work, always at work. Right? God works. Jesus works. And the general law of Sabbath is a good one. It, it is. Uh, I, I've always had a theory about the kind of traditional American view of retirement is necessary because of the way we approach work right? The way we work in this country is not sustainable. It's just not. It is work, 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 work. So the idea and the law of Sabbath is a good one, but don't lose perspective that there is good and godly work that can be done on Sabbath, all right? So in in Jesus's example, he says, I saw someone in need on the Sabbath, and I healed them. That is good and godly work. If you see someone in need, meet their need. If you see someone that needs help, help them. If you see someone that needs to be served, serve them. Now, this is not to say that we don't sometimes withdraw and disengage and just take a rest uh, fr- from that sort of thing, but it is to say that in general, there is good and there is godly work that can be done. On the Sabbath, and this is one of the, there are multiple miracles that Jesus does that he does on the Sabbath to make this very point that there is godly work, there is good work that can be done on the Sabbath. Remember the two greatest commandments? The two greatest commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second commandment is love your neighbor as you love yourself. So those are the two greatest commandments. You would not want to place Sabbath above either of those commands. Right so and it's easy to see how loving God can fit into Sabbath, right because on, on the day of rest, a lot of us attend a worship service, we engage in the worship of God. It's easy to see that fit in, but here, here's Jesus' point: is that loving your neighbor as you love yourself, that's not something that you just do six days. We don't take a break from loving others, right There's not a one day break where all right. So Monday through Saturday, whatever, I'm gonna love people, Sunday I'm free, right? He says, no, there is good and godly work that can be done on the Sabbath. Loving God and loving people both fit into those categories. And Jesus went on to say that, man, to this very day, God is at work. To this very day, God is at work. And I, the son, I too am at work. And so the father and the son, they do this good work on the Sabbath and we are called to do it too. We are called to love God, And we are called to love others. That's not the main point of this parable, though. Verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing, uh, because whatever the father does, the son does also. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father whom he had sent. So here's what Jesus wants us to see. In light of who he is, in light of his authority, in light of uh, the the miracle that he's just done, he says, uh, I want you to honor the father and I want you to honor the son. The word honor, all it means is to ascribe the proper worth to a person. And we are living in a time right now where we are seeing a breakdown of honor in general. I think it's important that a, a spirit of honor be revived in our country. When you talk about things like racism, when you talk about things uh, like classism and sexism, they would all be eliminated and dealt with with a spirit of honor. That says, I'm gonna honor you. I'm gonna honor you because you are created by God and you are loved by God. Jesus died for you. I am going to honor you. Everything, uh, all, a lot of the problems that we're facing as a country would be dealt with if we could revive and resurrect a spirit of honor. But even more important than that, Jesus says, Honor the Father and honor the Son. Remember, he's speaking to a group of people that they were all about honoring the Father, uh, and they felt like they knew, honored, and worshipped God the Father. But here's Jesus's point: God the Son is right in front of you, and He's done this miracle. And you can't see it in part because of legalism and in part because you think he's breaking some rule that he's not, never, not actually breaking. The Sabbath was never intended to circumvent loving people, <laughs> right? Um, that, that, that wasn't the purpose of the Sabbath, is to take a break from loving others. So Jesus, you don't even really understand Sabbath to begin with, but think about how Jesus' words must have landed. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I'm guessing you could hear a pin drop. And he's right. Jesus is worthy of honor and glory and praise. So how do we honor him? What does that look like? Verse 24 tells us, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed from death to life. We honor him by believing him and by believing in the one who sent him? I don't really like the translation here uh, in, in terms of the word believing, because in this country, um, believing and acting has become kind of convoluted. So you could hear somebody say, "I really think it is your civic duty to vote. Um, I, I really, I really believe every person should vote." And you might find out that that person hasn't voted in 20 years, and that would bug you. If you found out someone kind of advocating, hey, you should vote, you should vote, you should vote, and you find out they haven't voted in 20 years, that's kind of weird. They're kind of a hypocrite, but that English allows for that. Uh, English allows for both of those things uh, to be true. Um, you, You might say, you might hear someone say, man, I think every single person should be treated with kindness. And they say that again, every person should be treated with kindness. And then you go to their Facebook page and they're just awful. And you'd say, man, that guy's a hypocrite or that that woman's a hypocrite. But English allows for both of those things. Um, You might say, here's someone say, I believe in Jesus. But then like you kind of see their business practices Monday through Saturday. And it appears that his will and his way doesn't even cross their mind. And like I said, you might think they're a hypocrite. But those two things can exist in English. In the first century, those two things, in the language, those two things Uh, Really can't exist. So, I I like a, a different English word for what is used here for believing in the Son. The way we honor the Son, the way we honor the Father is by believing. And I like the word persuaded over belief. That I am persuaded that Jesus is who He said He is. I am persuaded that God's ways are best. I am persuaded that Jesus is leading me to life. I am persuaded. And I like that word a little bit better because to be persuaded is to take action in in our English language. And this is how we honor him. We become persuaded through his miracles, through his words, and through his resurrection. We become persuaded that he is who he says he is. And so when we are persuaded, we follow his commands. We obey his teachings. We follow his example. That you honor Jesus when you love well. You honor Jesus when you demonstrate righteousness. You honor Jesus when you pursue holiness. So this is a miracle where Jesus tells a man, hey, get up, take your mat, and go. But I think he's essentially telling us the same thing. Would you get off your mat and and do the right thing, help others? Would you get off your mat and would you honor Jesus? And I think that this might be exactly what our community and what our nation needs to hear right now is loving God and loving others, helping others, honoring Jesus. However you want to say it, love God, love people. It's the two greatest commandments. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the power of his example, the power of his resurrection. Uh, Pray that we would uh, follow his example and that um, we would honor him with our lives, by following his example, by obeying his teachings, by living the way that he lived, and that we would do the right thing by helping others. Whenever you've laid it on our heart and kind of put a person in front of us, that, that I, I believe you're leading us to help others. So when, when, when you've put us in a position to do that, that we would do it, that we would pick it up and, and help, and that we would honor Jesus by living for him. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.